note, for maximum picture quality, it may be necessary to adjust the tracking control on your VCR. Got into a war and then only had one single eye left But when he would make his film His expressionist opus would be utterly pitch black He writes a letter on his back The murderer marked with an M M M M M M M M I absolutely adore that band. I love the Crash. Me too. They get a lot of shit, I think, because people have only heard that song, and it's a great song. But great band. Great band. Says Ollie. <laughs> yes. And a good toy line. Do you remember the Crash Test Dummy toys? Um, do I? Yeah, do you not remember? The cartoon? That? No, there was. you could actually get toys and you could like ram the cars into the walls and um, like, the toys That's broke so... apart and stuff like that. That's such a weird thing. When, did it come out that the car industry just used like these weird like dummies and well, then the world got obsessed with them? Is I that haven't... how... <laughs> I have a feeling there was adverts in America that were safety adverts and they used like these two crash test dummies and they had like names like Frank or something like that and then they kind of adapted that into a toy line or something like that and I think there was a cartoon as well and it became a whole thing your your knowledge of just like toys and cartoons from like the 90s (laughs) (laughs) it's unmatched I'm a very I'm a very learned um, person I can I tell you all about the Toxic the Crusaders. So do you reckon the figures came before the cartoon then? They'd probably be like, you know, hand in hand, wasn't it? It's all about, to, you know, the cartoon is made to sell the toys, isn't it? You know, it's not vice versa. They don't oh make God. much money from the cartoons, do they? Probably. There were people in, that means there were people in like boardrooms going, and we'll launch this, this pincer attack of toys and cartoons <laughs> to sell yeah. crash test dummies to everyone. But like, <laughs> I'm sure there was like a villain crash test dummy as well. There was like a whole <laughs> whole lore to this uh, animated series oh my God. toy line. So yeah. Uh, so yeah. Um, welcome back to the podcast, Dummy. <laughs> How you doing? I'm good. Should we introduce the show or should we not bother? Just yeah. Should we just prop. should we pretend that it hasn't been like a year <laughs> since we recorded and just be like, it's yeah, been it's next week. Ha- how long has it been? Six months? I don't know. Yeah, we, we technically... Well, we started the 30s technically in Halloween 2021. Yeah, Cause I realised that. Two, we did two Frankenstein films and we did uh, Babes in Toyland. And then yeah, Christmas special. All Quiet on the Western Front, which... Has the remake come, come out now? Is it out? It has. It's on Netflix. Yeah. Any good? I have not watched it. I've not watched it yet. Okay. No. So, yeah. But yeah, it's been a while. As Stained once said. It's been a while. It's been a while. been a while. And so if you've forgotten what we do, um, we're a podcast called Adjust Your Tracking. And I don't remember what I used to say. 
Uh, we're on a venture to watch Century Cinema, decade by decade, year by year. And I'm one half of your host, Lena Delaney. And with me is... Hello, I'm Oliver Jones. Hey, see, that was simple. <laughs> simple. <laughs> simple. We're back at it. <laughs> back, back in the saddle. The um, saddle. I guess... I guess I need to quickly say, hi, I'm Lena Delaney. I did use a previous name. <laughs> this isn't new <laughs> for me, but it, I am, it is new for like the podcast. So, hi, I'm trans. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's fun in Britain. Uh, <laughs> I've not really got much to say. I don't want to do a grand speech or anything, but it's maybe worthwhile just, you know, pointing that out, I think, more than anything else. I guess yeah, to say, I say, like, Go on. No, I was going to say, if I ever accidentally slip up and say your previous name, you may hear a, like a very obvious <laughs> audio dub going, Lena, <laughs> over the top of it. And I apologize if that happens. <laughs> it's kind of fun. It's funny because like, um, I don't think we recorded an episode of this podcast whilst I wasn't kind of out to you. I think because it's been a long time. That's Oh, yeah, yeah. Of, I've, like, yeah, so... We, but like I just I've been choosing to take it incredibly kind of slow with stuff because well, it's of very personal way, things, isn't it? You know? Yeah, exactly, and yeah, and the British system and stuff like that and stuff that I don't mm-hmm. need to get into. Um, but like it's been quite funny because we started that and then it just was like, oh shit, I should probably at some point change that here <laughs> more than anything else. <laughs> um, so yeah, changed. Moving on. So moving retcon. on. It's a retcon, it is. <laughs> I think actually, yeah, 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 it's a retcon. It's an official retcon. It's quite fun to retcon your life. I should do it more often. There's loads of things <laughs> I would retcon. Uh, you're just saying. So how do we do this podcast, Ollie? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, normally we talk about, uh, what have you been up to in the past six <laughs> months? <laughs> Tell me all the films you've watched in the past six months. All. Yeah, so we'll get to the topic of our... Um, podcast later in the episode a little bit later after have, have a bit of a catch-up that's the way we normally do it and if you couldn't tell we're doing m by, by fritz lang <laughs> if the song didn't help you <laughs> but yeah it was nice. i actually came down to visit you in your new uh in my new shindigs in your new shindigs down in uh, brighton it was uh, very nice had a good time yeah it's fun lots of cocktails were had yes they really were yeah, yeah. That was almost unexpected, I think. Had one of the best pub lunches I've had. That was very nice as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Sunday lunch. And and had, hands down, the best ever creme brulee I've ever had in my life. That is is a fact. I loved that dinner, actually. That French food. I really loved that place. I've been recommending it to everyone as I've been going past, and I don't think anyone believes me. (laughs) But I've been going, that place, really good. I loved it. I definitely go back there. We ate well that weekend. We ate. We well. did eat well. We ate and drank well. We did. And um, so, what else have you been up to? Have you, what have you been doing for the past six months? Anything? Uh, mainly work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, like in terms of movies, because it's I'm quite lucky here compared to where I used to live. I think I said this last time, but compared to where I used to live, now I live with a place with like cinemas, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got a like a um. I got a subscription to the to Picture House. That there's two theaters here, so I open. I go to the theater quite nice. a lot now, and they um they uh they have like a members thing where they show showings for free, 
um, every week and stuff. So I saw The Shining uh, projected for free um, just for Halloween, which was absolutely amazing, frankly. (laughs) How does that Um, work, by the way? Do you have to kind of like, if it's free and they don't get too many, do you have to kind of like book the free ticket in advance or something? So Yeah, you have to book in advance to get it, um, like get your seat and then just show your ticket on the door. Though, honestly, they ask me for tickets really rarely. I think they, they just, I don't know if they know my face or they just are a very trusting company. <laughs> but, but, um, but yeah, yeah so, to see The Shining on the big screen, I bet that was amazing. Oh, it was so good. And I had the weirdest, um, I had the weirdest kind of experience with it because I've seen The Shining a ton, um, but in recent years, not so much. You know, it's mm-hmm. just one of those films I used to watch a load when I was younger and then recently I haven't watched it so much. And then I was sitting there watching it on the big screen and going, this is, why does this feel different? This is different to me. Why does this feel different? And I just thought maybe I'd forgotten the film and, hadn't, you know, I'd just forgotten parts of it or something. And then it wasn't, I think it, it was either, you know, listening to uh, the Blank Check podcast about like The Shining or I just looked it up myself. I can't remember. But there's a British edit of the film. Yeah. Which only exists in Britain. I'm Um, pretty sure he was watching the film and he thought, no, I've got to shave like 15 minutes out of this film or something. Yeah. British version. Which is, I think, needless. What he shaved off is really interesting stuff, actually, I think. Um, Like character stuff. But clearly he was feeling that, you know, he's watching it in a theatre and he was kind of like feeling the tense, tense nature or something, feeling, oh, they're losing interest or something like um, but I was, I couldn't, but I, I don't know. So I don't know if this is the first time I've actually watched the full cut of The Shining. It might be, um, well, because, uh, but I'm sure I must've seen it before in this cut because it's been released on like DVD and everything else like that, you know, Blu-ray in the full cut. But I was sitting in the cinema going, this seemed new. <laughs> like, is this, this feels different. So maybe that's like- just not embodied in my head as much as the British cut is. Well, I saw. I, I think I've only seen the British cut. I'm pretty sure because I had it on VHS, which is definitely the, the British cut. Yeah, and I've got the Blu-ray, and I'm not sure if that has both versions or what. But so I, I'm not entirely sure which one I have seen. I'm pretty sure I've only seen the British one. I'm I think sure the Blu-ray I think, is the new cut. I'm pretty sure. Okay, I'm. Pr- I American think cut, though. I think it's Kubrick's preferred version, though. So, I think he said on. that, but. It's like um, I do prefer the American one. It's like the director's cut of Alien. I think is shorter than the original theatrical version, as well. So interesting. But uh, I was um, I loved it. I just absolutely loved it. Uh, I never. I've always I always say Shining is one of my like top ten or something. And sitting in the theater to watch it was an experience which was amazing. Um, And. uh, I, I think I, I think I would take the job if I was offered that job. You know, I would take it. I would do that. I would have been the caretaker. <laughs> yeah. For is it how long? All winter, like four yeah, months? Is it something like that? I'd yeah. do that. I think. I think you know. I could I could nail that. Do loads of writing. Sure, it wouldn't go wrong. <laughs> I wouldn't turn into Jack Nicholson. I don't think. No. Um. <laughs> I was going to say uh, about that film uh, my mind's gone dead now I was about to say something uh, but yeah I go, talking about older films I watched E.T. 
on the uh, cinema for my oh, wow. for my 39th birthday and um because i think it's his 40th anniversary this year okay and like you know me i'm not a very i wouldn't say i'm not sentimental but i don't show my emotions like openly i'm quite of a an introvert in that respect you're quite british in that respect yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i've seen et god knows how many times uh, watching it at the cinema for some reason, I I have never cried so much in all my life. I've seen <laughs> relatives die, I've seen friends die. You've e. seen T. relatives die, not seen, but like you know, I've, <laughs> I've lived through my you know relatives and friends and that who passed away, and I've never cried as much as when I watched E.T. the other day. <laughs> well, I said the other day a couple of months ago, but um, that film, I absolutely adore that film film is wonderful there's something about the like you know like uh the shining those just i, I guess it's because it's films from the the decade we were born and they're kind of like ingrained into our kind of who we are as people because we just watch them so many times and then Maybe when you find bit. then it when you depends. finally see it on the big screen i mean i, I saw et on the re-release like 20 years ago but that's when they had the bullshit like oh yeah cgi and removed all the guns and put them walkie talkies and hands and things like that it's just silly things but uh it just shows how powerful the big screen is and nothing <laughs> will ever like you know you can watch a film in your your big screen tv at home but it'll never like you know you'll never get that same feeling as when you watch a film on the big screen ollie jones vouchers for cinema <laughs> I, <laughs> I agree though it's, I love watching things in the theatre it's just mainly because it's one of the only times that I don't have my phone in front of my yeah, face yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> like, it really is like, and it gives me the excuse to bury myself away and just relax without thinking of everything else that I'm stressing about and it's that little th- form of therapy for me I think of just being yeah. able to go to the theatre rather than watching it it's I, I can I absolutely can absorb a film at home fine it's not like I can't watch a film at home but it's just a different experience you like, you if I correct me if I'm wrong but you watch films sometimes a bit different to me so I know you you probably watch a lot more films than me at home but I have a feeling some of those films you're probably like half watching you might be like doing something else where you're watching it and I'm not saying they're films Definitely. that you really want to watch they're just films you just have on in the background because you're not that fussed about it but you want to check it out anyway yeah yeah so, that happens a lot but i am i'm a person that if i watch a film i have to it has to have my full attention otherwise i just won't watch it so i i mean i could i can i watch a lot of films when i'm working but they're films i've seen before so yeah I, yeah yeah although if i don't give a film my full attention i feel guilty even if it's crap, like I don't know, name a shit film. I don't know. <laughs> like, what did I watch the other week? Girl, is it Girls' Night or something with um, Girls' uh, Trip? Is it Girls' Trip? I don't know. It's like a. It's got Scarlett Johansson in it, and it's like a uh, 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 a hen pie that goes wrong kind of film, and even that. As crap as it was, I had to give it my full attention. <laughs> but yeah. I, 
Yeah, I, I, I've, yeah. If I'm watching a film for the first time, I will definitely have my full attention. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I'm rewatching something, yeah, it's just it can just be noise to me. Um, and you know, I look up to catch it now and again. Like, yeah, I just like I'm, I'm ADHD like that that I get stressed out if there isn't something going on. To be honest, yeah. so it helps to have something on. I find. And movies just feel a good. There's always like a, there's always a category of movies of like, well, they could just get put on. Like I haven't mm. seen that since I was six. <laughs> Let's put that on because <laughs> a six-year-old has no opinions. Um, so and and stuff like that. So that happens a lot. So now what? Um, go on. I was gonna say, Sorry. speaking of old films, though, what newer films have you watched? Uh, so I haven't been to see Black Panther. Have you? No, I've not. I, I no, haven't I've even not seen... rushed out to go see it. No, I didn't even watch um, Thor, Love and... Blood, Blood and Thunder? Love and... What was it called? <laughs> Love and Thunder. Blood and Thunder. <laughs> Blood and Thunder. Yeah. No, I, I just... Yeah, I... that film was trash. That's one of the worst right. films I've ever seen. Really? Like the cinema. I hated wow. being... I hated being in that... Like, in the theatre watching it. I, I like... I was annoyed, actively annoyed that I was, I was having to sit through this because I don't leave films early. I hated that film so much. It's so fucking annoying. Have you ever walked out of a film? I've never walked out of one. No, I never have. The, I always, I remember like, I, Dreamcatcher, I think we came, I came close to doing. Oh, that was pretty bad though. That was pretty bad. Um, I remember going to, um, we would, me and you were shooting a music video for our friend Laurie's band, Two Minute Warning. Oh yeah. And we met his, his guitarist singer Mark <laughs> I wish there was that song <laughs> but that's not that song four minute warning four minute warning oh, but, uh, well yeah that would be a much shorter song <laughs> yeah because no he says two minute warning in it because in the song he keeps counting oh does he count down it, oh, yeah but anyway three Mark minute Mark kept trying to give me a copy of Dreamcatcher on DVD and I was like I don't want it I don't want it and then when I got home after because we we were in Nottingham or Leicester, wherever we were shooting the music video. I think it was Nottingham. And then I opened my bag and this bloody copy of Dreamcatcher was in my bag. I was, so ang- <laughs> I was so angry. Angry. Did you watch it? Well, I've, I mean, I saw it. I'm sure we saw it at the cinema, I think. But I didn't... Oh, I saw it, with, I saw it in Leicester. I remember... Yeah. I, I wouldn't have been with you. But I saw it at the cinema and I, that's 100% why I didn't want to own it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew. Yeah, Dreamcatcher is one of the ones I really, really remember of wanting to walk out on. Yeah. But I didn't. But I'm sure there were loads more. It's just that's the one I I really, really recall. I think, do you remember the movie called The Stupids with Tom Arnold in it? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, we saw that together. I remember. Yeah, we saw that together. And um, I remember that was like one of those films when you're a kid and it's like, oh, not every film's good. Yeah, I think we were like probably like, like we were probably like eleven like or twelve or and ten. We like, realised that like, yeah, realised like, films could be bad. I was just remember being really annoyed by it, and, and just annoyed that I was kind of having to watch it. What? It wasn't two years later I found out that it's a sitcom remake as well. Is it? Like, yeah, it's one of those fucking sitcom films that came out in the nineties, like Coneheads and stuff. Like, was Coneheads t- wasn't a sitcom, but whatever. Like, well, Coneheads um, was a Saturday Night Live SNL thing, wasn't sketch. It? Yeah, was it, so was Coneheads? Did it have Tom Arnold in it? 
Coneheads didn't have Tom Arnold in it. No, I was sorry, Coneheads, sorry. Stupid. Did that have Tom Arnold in it? Yeah, yeah. Tom Arnold and Jessica Lundy. I think no way. I'm going to have to investigate this. I'm. My mind has actually been blown. Although it did have that amazing gag, though, when he ran into his garage because he wanted to chase oh, someone. God. <laughs> and he's like, looks at knows what gag. <laughs> he needs to, like, catch up with this guy quick. And he's, like, looking for some form of transportation to catch up with this guy and he looks at his bike and he's like two wheels shakes his head then looks at his car he goes four wheels shakes his head <laughs> looks at his inline skates and he's like eight wheels <laughs> god <laughs> what's your favorite tom arnold film oh is it big liar <laughs> oh big liar's awesome yeah Rick Moranis' like last film, Rick, wasn't yeah. it? Or yeah, no, right. <laughs> I've watched that film four hundred yeah. times because of TV. Yes, same. <laughs> um, anyway, new films. What have you seen? <laughs> well, yeah, good point. Not Tom Arnold films. Uh, I guess the last. What was the, I? I da, da, da. <laughs> um, I don't know. The new things that are on the cinema that I saw recently that I thought both of them were just two of the top films I've seen this year are um, The Banshees of Inisherin yeah. and A Decision to Leave and um, I will now talk about each one of them in turn <laughs> <laughs> well I haven't seen Decision to Leave but Banshees of Inisherin is probably I don't know it might be one of my favourite films I've seen in maybe four or five years I don't know I absolutely adored that film I thought it was fantastic like I hadn't like I'm a big fan of the director anyway aside from I didn't like Seven Psychopaths much no I don't like but, Seven um, and obviously his brother's a great filmmaker as well um, but um, I had no idea what the film was about at all I just knew it was Colin Farrell and um, what's his name Brendan Gleeson Brendan Gleeson and who the director was so when I sat down I had literally had no idea I just went to see it because i wants to see these guys and that director's new film that was it and I love that when that happens when you don't know anything and you just kind of just swept over by the film and like it's it's fucking hilarious but it's also really bleak as well at the same time yeah it's kind of like a fable almost isn't it kind of yeah in a roundabout I don't want to spoil it because it's no it's but I think my general I had two general feelings about it and I think both of them are like they're not spoilers at all and I think like one of the big things that this movie keeps doing is showing you the Irish Civil War that's happening on the mainland away from this is a fictional island but away from this fictional island yeah yeah um, and they can see the Civil War going on in the mainland and the sound of the guns and the smoke and stuff like that um, but Whenever they talk about it, which is not a lot, only a couple of times, they don't understand it in the slightest. Mm-hmm. Like this is a, this is well, like they even say it's completely uh, separate to them. Well, they say, "I hope you're okay over there, whatever you're fighting about, or something like that." Isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, they just don't they don't understand like the waves of like like societal change that's happening in their kind of long sight, you know, in their distance. Um, they're just they're just absolutely involved in their little world and their little kind of like struggle um and the larger struggle outside of them is way too much for them to kind of Comprehend. understand yeah, yeah. it's beyond them it's co- it's not comprehensible to them really apart from they know that bad things are happening and they don't want people to kind of be hurting and i just thought like one like 
it just demonstrates this lonely little loneliness of like life where you just don't have control over the big momentum shifts that are actually happening to them and you, and you don't understand like the mechanisms of the world at that point and that's such a fucking history of the irish people it's insane mm. to me like it's such a history of like th- these people that lived in this island and constantly like invading forces from the british uh, are changing like the world around them and telling them they're now under different control and fights are breaking out and stuff and the people themselves did not have like control over it at all and sometimes may not even comprehend they're just trying to get along with their day and survive but also like it really just reminded me of like the last few years as well like the idea of like first things like brexit and then stuff like covid mm-hmm. just this huge mon- monumental kind of shifts in the way that are changing us day to day and changing how we can live and just this idea that some people have no idea what's going on no comprehension of it no understanding of it and they're just trying to kind of navigate their life really uh, it just felt really it felt this felt like a pandemic movie to me it felt like a movie that comes out of that well, loss of control during the pandemic well also yeah, and i just Brennan Gleeson. You have Brennan Gleeson's character who's kind of like thinking about his own mortality and stuff like that. And, Hmm. you know, the panic of during COVID, like everyone was just didn't want to get it because they had no idea what the effect would be for them. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. So, like, you know, death could come for Brennan Gleeson at any time. So he's kind of doing his best to kind of make his mark on the world i guess yeah and yeah he's he's looked at this threat of death that's that's looming over him and he's decided he's not happy if he dies yeah right now like he would be disappointed at himself if he died right now and yeah i think a lot of us probably felt that over the fucking pandemic Mm. like um it doesn't i don't know if that's what they're writing about in this but when i I came out of it i couldn't stop thinking no they couldn't stop thinking the pandemic they must have honestly and um it's all. It's also like the most bizarre breakup story, like film I've ever seen <laughs> as well. And it's like quite heartbreaking for Colin Farrell, but then you can kind of see how it's like a, a like a you know, a Robber Ross, you know, kind of like when yeah, he meets right. um you know Barry Keen's character, but who actually is a lot smarter than anyone gives him credit for. Like, I think I don't know. He's quite insightful for the things he says and like how he sees things. But I do wonder yeah. about Barry Keane though. He's like I think he's a really good actor, but he's definitely got this thing down of like how he plays things. Like even if you, <laughs> yeah. like even if you watch Green Knight and um, you know he's he's got got a very particular way about him. Yeah, he definitely has his ticks. He yeah. has his actors' ticks and stuff, and mm-hmm. you can you can start seeing them coming out of performances. I think he's amazing. Oh yeah, don't really get me good. wrong. I think I he'll do... end up winning awards. Oh yeah, as definitely. Well. Um, but like, you can definitely see his work. That's yeah. his old little whole, own little thing, really. And um, I should I'll just mark out decision to leave because you haven't seen it, but so I'm not going to spoil anything. But it's Park Chan Wook's new film. Right. And Park Chan Wook is just a you know visionary yeah. of Korean cinema, and Korean cinema is finally getting because of like um, Parasite is and, and Boon is uh, It's finally starting like getting I think more momentum in theaters and in and in the West really as well. And you'll know Park Chan Wook from like Old Boy, mm-hmm. um, you know Stoker. Uh, Lady Vengeance. For me, The Handmaiden is one of the best films ever made. Um, I think The Handmaiden's absolutely stunning achievement 
in film. What was the so, what was the weird fat pig thing? Oakja. Oakja, that's not Bark. Who's Chandler. that? That's, that's Bonk. That's Bong Joon Ho, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Alright, yeah. I'll edit that bit out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, decision to leave is just this uh it's just this incredible, like quiet detective love story, I guess. Like it's um a seasoned detective's like looking at suspicious death of a man on a mountaintop and he starts questioning like the people that are connected to him. The guy is an obsessive cop kind of thing. And his main suspect or like main witness, it's kind of hard to tell, um, is an incredibly interesting character that he starts falling for and it becomes a bit of a love story between them. Um, it's, I just, I just sat in that theatre just agape with how much I was loving what he was doing on screen and loving this film and loving every single second of it. I felt tired when I left because of what this film does, you know, like how, how like it piles everything on and doesn't shy away from like the results of the actions of the characters, really. Um, just, uh, just a deep emotional connection to this stuff. And I really would recommend yeah, decisions to leave like hugely. I think that and Inner Sharon are becoming my two favourite of the year so far. Right. Let me tell you about my number one film of the year though so far. Okay. It's a little film called Clerks Three. Go <laughs> away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that film was absolutely terrible. Um I was, I was so saddened by how bad that film was. It was oof. I thought I know if yeah. I thought reboot was rough, but I know. And I generally like I I've seen lots of positive praise for Clerks Three, and I don't I just, I, I I don't this is and this is really like this has come from someone you know who I used to worship Kevin Smith when I was little. Well, I say little, I was still I was grown as no. tall as I am now, but uh, you know in my <laughs> in my late teens, and you know I had the pleasure of meeting him and stuff like that, and he's a great guy. I don't want to take that away from him. I think he's a fantastic person, but. That film, Oof. yeah, yeah. Really I, good. I'm. I think I said it. Like I was happy that he got to make that film with his friends. Yeah, it's bad though. It's yeah. very bad, it's... and 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 bad in a way that like I think it's off-putting in a way that I don't think Kevin Smith thinks it is. Yeah. I, I found it. It's reverence to like its source material, which is the first Clerks, is um off-putting mm-hmm. and weird and. Oh, kind of horrid it makes me more depressed for the reverence it has with for clerks one about the lives of the characters he's showing and but then also like therefore the people making it as well you know because it becomes navel gazing in a way mm. that i find really horrid and uh, it just really put me off really did put me off in a way that i just found very sad and i don't think i'm finding it sad in the way other people no yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 100 yeah i'll tell you what though i did watch um i watched barbarian have you seen barbarian oh wonderful i love it so much that is a film that is so worthy not spoiling a single second oh, yeah, about yeah. it i mean i liked it a lot i wouldn't say i loved it um like, cause it, like you know people were going it's crazy you won't believe where it went and i was like <laughs> well that's just stupid words and I was like yeah. No, yeah. but I thought it was very clever like you know the setup and stuff like that and, yeah and uh, you know for a long like not it's not spoiling everything but it takes a little while for Justin Long to come into the film who's like mm-hmm. one of the, the main build people and you think 
where's Justin Long? I thought he was meant to be in this film. <laughs> and then... I did have a moment of, where's Justin Long? <laughs> and then he pops up and... Um, yeah, he, safe to say he's a complete utter shit in the film. <laughs> um, he's so... Justin Long is having just the best career. Yeah. Like, I just think he's just done so much good shit, really. <laughs> like, this slow, like, build of, like... Especially, like, he's becoming, like, a screen, a screen queen, basically. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, a... I, mean I, I know I just shout on Kevin Smith. I actually... <laughs> I actually quite... I didn't mind Tusk. I thought that was an interesting curveball move on Kevin Smith's half in my opinion i know it came from a podcast that um uh that <laughs> it came was from, from a, a gum tree advert or something which funny enough my good well our good friend jackie gavin lived with the guy who created wrote the fake gum tree article that was then read out on kevin smith's podcast and then spawned this whole tusk thing which i thought was oh, so my good. god the webs that are woven i know yeah um but yeah i thought barbarian was Really, it was really good. And then the other new film I watched was Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think of Weird? Um, I think because in the UK, we I don't think we've got as much reverence for Weird Al, in my opinion. I don't know. I mean, I knew Eat It and Amish Paradise and I don't know, a handful of other songs, but I don't think he's as like revered in the UK as he's in America. And I don't think that's true. Um, I don't know. I just I felt the joke wore thin quite quickly but, yeah but i didn't mind it i, I thought it was I there's actually, a middle section of the film gets gets a bit tiresome i felt yeah but i thought the kids the the younger versions who played um weird out were quite good yeah especially the teenage one when he's like goes to the polka party <laughs> i thought it was quite good yeah it was i enjoyed weird i think it's funny and i think it's a funny film but like that's not without debate really yeah, yeah um but like i did want this is a weird thing to say i wanted more performance i wanted more like songs like yeah even though they, they they get quite a lot in it but not i just wanted to see them him on stage more him play more a little more i think i just wanted to have a little more of that music biopic in well, just, they, a, just a sprinkle more do you know like they only did my bologna amish paradise and and eat it really didn't they was there another one in there it is like a virgin like a surgeon oh that's it yeah that one and i thought daniel radcliffe was pretty good and he was well cast in yeah kind of like he's he's basically a straight man in the film because it's the how else you meant to parody weird al who's a crazy perp why not he's not he's actually quite a clean cut guy really isn't he but he's like wacky clean funny nice guy like great podcast guest i love him on podcasts i love to scene actually when he goes to the party and he meets all like, the other celebrities and uh, Jack Black is uh, Wolfman Jack I thought that was a really yeah, good that's scene so funny. that was a funny scene Conan O'Brien playing um, Andy Warhol <laughs> yeah. and uh, Emo Phillips playing Dali just the great cameos and you had because I think originally it was meant to be the Lonely Island trio group were going to play all the members of Queen bar Freddie Mercury Okay. And then Andy Samberg couldn't play couldn't turn up so they end up playing other people. So one of them was uh, from Lonely Island was uh, Paul Rubens, you know, Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. And uh, I forgot who the other one was. But anyway, it was okay. I was kind of hoping yeah. for a bit more from it, but, uh, but it was okay. I definitely didn't live up to what I wanted from it, but I yeah. did have a good time with it, definitely. It's just, it's quite anti-Madonna. <laughs> yeah, which, 
yeah, weird. <laughs> I'm sure that's that. I know that's the joke, and I fucking get it, but it just it felt a bit too much at some point. Um, when you just kind of wanted, I was like, can you just play more poker covers? <laughs> I like them. <laughs> I'm I'm I was upset they didn't do the uh, the Jedi song from uh, the Phantom Menace one. You know, it's like American <laughs> Pie. But I can't remember what he turned. Is it Ameri- Anakin guy or something? I can't remember what they called it. But but um, it's the, the song itself is titled like the story saga starts or something. Or that's something, it. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Like, my um, my, this here Anakin guy. Which is the 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 trivia for that song is that he wrote it before the movie came out because he's such a nerd about star wars he managed to get like a leaked script from lucas or something oh really to be able to kind of and he went through it to write write the song so like it, it so it came out when the film came out <laughs> and he had all the plot points and everything because he managed to get all early access and stuff because it's weird out and he gets whatever he weird out wants so yeah, anything else have you watched anything else i mean tons but there's no point going through everything but i think <laughs> fine I think, well, I think I will say that um, to to shout out something that didn't get a lot of press was um, Confess Fletch came out. Um, oh yeah, in September, and it's I fucking love it. Um, Is it? It's, I, could, it's I do a, need to watch it. It's. I think you'll really, really like it. It's a quiet film. It's a slow film. It's like a relaxed film. Um, it's not like incredibly comedic. It's not incredibly lit by bombastic. It doesn't ramp up the kind of tension and stuff like that like or anything else like that it's just this quiet little kind of comedic comedic kind of like not uh, like investigation film really um well, that, john ham just holds it all together well that's he is really what, funny in himself but that, he holds it all together and i think greg Mottola, Mottola. i never know how to say super his name, bad guy did yeah yeah super bad and paul you know everyone's favorite film paul <laughs> and <laughs> paul was rough sorry sorry dude but paul was rough i like the day trippers though yeah, um, day trippers but yeah like his um he, he just had felt like he just kind of did a really good adaptation of what i think because i've never read them the books feel like and yeah i was literally watching it going i would watch one of these a year easily like if they just if they commissioned like Columbo, I was going to say is it like a Columbo series. kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. Honestly, like if they just did, you know, once a year or once every now and again, they got three kind of feature length episodes yeah. out. You know, like specials like they used to do with Columbo. I would be on board for all of them. I was just had such a good time watching it. And there's there's a billion Fletch books, so you could do it like Columbo. But I and not to turn everything into a fucking streaming show, but like I just. I, I felt like they could easily keep doing these and I would turn up for every one of them because I just felt had this comfortable night time with it. Like it was like slippers <laughs> of a movie. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Which I guess isn't the best selling point, but No, it, it really you don't you me. don't really get like these like low to mid range budget films anymore that kind of are made mm. for, for for adults, I guess. You know. So but um and yeah, I do, do want to watch it. it. I think it's I think it's got a theatrical release in the UK, I think. I might be wrong. Did it? Well, I, I missed so. that if it did. No, I think it's like just come out in the UK theatrically. I oh, think. wow. I think so. I'm not sure. Could be wrong. Wait, shall we move on to the main event? Got sure. Let's, no, no, I'm I'm spent. A main feature. A main feature. So um, we're back to the 1930s. It's like we haven't been away. <laughs> 
I reckon this series will last as long as the 30s if we go in the exactly. rate that we're going. <laughs> we do one a year. Yeah, sounds um, good. So we're up to the heady heights of 1931 and we're dealing with the movie that is called M. It's called M in English and it's called M in German. Or Deutsch. Play the trailer. <laughs> Ausschnitte aus dem erregenden, spannenden und aktuellen Kriminalfilm M, den der Regisseur Fritz Lang für die Nero-Produktion geschaffen hat. Die Handlung dieses einzigartigen Kriminalfilms ist von atemberaubender Explosivität. Spannungsgeladen von Anfang bis Ende. Das Resultat bitte! Das Resultat! Ich komme nämlich vom Finanzamt. Wer ist der geheimnisvolle Unbekannte, der Millionen Menschen einer Stadt terrorisiert? Wo verbirgt er sich? Wie sieht er aus? Wer ist der Mörder? Jeder kann es sein. Jeder ist verdächtig. Du bist wohl verrückt, du Schweinschnell! M. Das Meisterwerk auf dem Gebiet des Kriminalfilms mit Otto Wernicke. Hören Sie mal bloß auf von der Mitarbeit des Publikums. Gustav Grünkens. Meine Herren, wenn sich mir bei Ausübung meines Berufs ein Kriminalbeamter den Weg stellt, dann weiß er, welches Risiko er eingeht. Und ich weiß es auch. Theodor Loos. Lassen Sie mal einen Wächter reinkommen. Theo Lingen. Paul Kemp. Fritz Odemar. Ist denn schon 3 Uhr? Peter Lorre. Rosa Valetti. Was glauben Sie, was die hier alle für eine Stinkwut auf den Kerl haben? Friedrich Gnas. Mann, meinst du? Ich weiß wohl nichts, Herr Kommissar. M. Ein Film, den jeder gesehen haben muss. Wir zeigen diesen spannenden Kriminalfilm demnächst in diesem Theater. Um, yeah, so M, uh, released in 1931, it's a mystery, suspense, murder, thriller film uh, by the director Fritz Lang and starring the incomparable Peter Lorre. Um, it's, it's about, it's, I mean, it's a very simple plot, actually. It's about a serial killer that's terrorizing Berlin and the situation that unfolds after his latest murder. That's what it's about. It's yeah, really simple. Much. It's not got any other politics or anything else. No, nothing, nothing else <laughs> nothing is going else. on this film at all in the slightest. <laughs> it's really simple. There's nothing going on in the 1930s in, in Germany that might speak <laughs> to <laughs> what this film's about. I am um, confession. Like, so I, obviously this is the first time I'm watching this. It's one of the most iconic movie posters ever. Like, mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I think even people, people who have like 
who are getting into knowing about film, they know this poster. Like that's like one of your well, first like I mean, things you see. Surely, I didn't know the poster was actually going to be literally in the film. Like, it's, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Good. It's like an iconic shot in the film. Like, I had yeah by I mean, a character. I, I couldn't even tell you the character's name. Funnier, uh, you the, can or you can't. No, I can't. I know because oh, it's it's like it's it's a it's one of the kind of beggars, isn't it? But yeah. they're never named. It's just he's, a, he's it's the just pretty the pretty beggar. The other one, oh, we'll get to the beggars. <laughs> the <there>. Pretty beggar. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, confession. I the what I know about this film is the poster. Yeah, I know who Fritz Lang is. Yeah. Uh, because he has one eye and an eye patch, <laughs> so he's one of the most iconic kind of looking directors ever and i thought and i know the shot of peter laurie looking at his back in like the mirror seeing an m written on his back that's the Mm -hmm. three things i knew about this film and i knew it was about killer like so i keep adding things i know about this film and uh i thought it was about killer that writes m on your back when he decides he's going to kill you oh okay yeah yeah, and then he kind of chases you around and lets you know that you're next kind of thing and it was it was going to be about like this like you know him like marking people to go kill them i'm very incorrect about what this was about <laughs> no i was <laughs> quite embarrassed but i mean i knew it was a bad child murderer but that's that's the extent of it to be honest i mean is it i mean it is about a child murderer it's about a lot more yeah. than the child murderer really it's, it's yeah yeah it's quite a bit it's um to unpack in this film it's kind of known as the first serial killer movie, I think. Um, I don't think that's entirely true because uh, you have um, you have the the Alfred Hitchcock movie uh, Lodger right. come out before this in the twenties, and you also have like Doctor Caligari yeah. come out before this as well. Both of those are about serial killers. This one is. The, maybe the first one which really kind of is about it like it like the character of the serial killer is really followed in this and it's about the murders specifically maybe maybe that's why it's the first serial killer movie but it's it's quite remarkable i like i was quite blown away by the film generally do you know what about like, i was really shocked about is like how procedural it was especially at the beginning one of the, the first half i'd say like I was like, yeah, it really gets into like for the time anyway, like the nitty gritty of like the detective work or if you know what I mean. And yeah, I was, and like you don't really have a main character for a good until you kind of introduce. Well, that's kind of what I was trying to say. Is the yeah. main character is the serial killer? It is it is Hans um, Beckert really? Even though you don't see him for like forty five minutes or something, yeah. it is he is the protagonist really of the film. Um, and it when you are revealed when he's finally properly revealed after the M being written on him, it becomes about his kind of chase. Well, you, you know, do, like it you becomes do see about him, in him his, hiding. Like you see him in like in his apartment or whatever, like in the, looking in the mirror and stuff, don't you? Like yeah, yeah. That's what I'm, for. 40, I think it's forty five minutes when you finally see his face. Right. Um, uh, you see like the back of his head. You see him writing. Um, you his, hear him a lot. Which silhouette is really, his shadow. Yeah, his silhouette and stuff. Um, but you don't really see his face so much. Um, but yeah, I same. I was really surprised that this became like a police procedural uh, for a lot of it. Actually, it, it goes well into kind of um, you know, uh, it talks about handwriting analysis. It does like um, 
it does the fingerprint analysis as well. And I love that shot where you see the one guy sitting down and there's a yeah. giant picture of a finger, like a fingerprint in front of him. And I was like, wow. It's like, and they're, they're describing, the, they're describing the thing, the, the markings of the finger, like in detail. Yeah. Which I'm guessing, I, I didn't look this up, but I'm guessing that that was a new technology for the 30s. Yeah. It's um, been. Both handwriting and fingerprinting probably was quite new. So he goes into detail in this about, um, this these are the new tools that our cops have for like finding killers and and you as the audience probably don't get this but look this is how it works and there there this is what it does and that shot with that fingerprint looming over the policeman is like it it's like the whole i don't know it's 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 really i get well, i mean he was an expressionist filmmaker but it looks like a kind of expressionist set to me like that massive yeah, yeah. picture hanging over him like a kind of like a propaganda post or something yeah, like yeah. that or like like the entire the entire situation looming over like the single cop kind of thing it's definitely purposeful but it's it's a really stunning shot I well feel. there's quite a few shots like that of like imposing people like looking down the lens or like looking at the lens you know what i mean there's a, quite yeah. a, a bit of that going on in the film and it's, it, I just think, because, you know, it starts with they find like a, I, I love this little set, they find like a discarded candy bag where the girl was last seen. So they, they then, I just obsessed with this, like what they do, they, they bring out the camera, they, the camera comes out and the set that they were walking on becomes like a little model. Yeah, in like it's a so 2D well done. Map. Like, well, it's almost like, so good. You know, well, I mean, it's worth pointing out that Fritz Lang, one of his previous films was Metropolis, which is like mm-hmm. one of the most groundbreaking films to be made at that time, you know, with compositing that, you know, people had never seen like, you know, and yeah. so like he used these little tricks in this film, but to a very subtle extent, like, like you were just saying, like the map. And uh, I'm pretty sure I might be wrong. I have a feeling there's some model shots as well. And some, yeah, probably, like, I think, and some sets with like forced perspective and stuff like that. Definitely. But, Definitely. But like, there's yeah. definitely a shot where, you know, where the mother is waiting for her daughter to come home. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure she looks down the stairs. Yeah. Like, there's a shot. And I'm pretty sure that's a model shot of the staircase. I'm pretty sure. Because it shows huh. how, like, like if you look at the detail of the banisters and things like that, they don't match. They're very, like, simplistic compared to what the actual banisters look like in the in the wide shots which I have to say some of the cinematography and this is amazing like where the cameras oh, are like stunning. tracking yeah. and pulling and I kind of love those early shots because they kind of move then stop yeah then yeah, they yeah, yeah. rack yeah. forward yeah. a bit yeah. and stop and then they move a bit and it's not quite fluid but it, no it's, no it's, you know there's someone like winching or pushing or you know there's there's people behind that camera like and, you know these cameras back then were that's like, what i was thinking so that big. like there's a there's a thing at the first where there's a single shot when it's the kids playing and then it it focuses on them and then kind of swings up to see the mother on the balcony yelling at them for singing the song they're singing yeah and i thought the same as you just thought like that shot was kind of like like a little bit a little bit not fluid a little bit janky a little bit stuttering like it struggled a little bit to make it up to to, to her and stuff and it it's endeared me so much because I think what you're about to say is those cameras are giant. That was five people well, pushing that, you know, and someone well, it, at front of it and stuff. What was like, the film we watched in the 40s which had uh, Kurt Douglas in? What was that one? Oh, Bold Which, and the Beautiful. Yeah, and then you 40s. see them on like you see them on those giant cameras with the the rigs yeah. and stuff. It's like 
I was just envisioning those cameras making this film. And I was thinking, like, you know, we, we've done a couple of Orson Welles films, like, um, and he's very well known for these kind of, like, uh, dolly tracking shots, you know, which were regularly used in, like, action sequences. But to use it just in telling story dialogue mm-hmm. would, is kind of mad. And Orson was known for doing that. It's the big thing about, like, you know, Citizen Kane, which comes out, you know, 41. So it comes out 10 years after this. But there's no way Orson didn't watch this and, oh, yeah. and see that kind of camera stuff and, and think about that. That's, it's, and it's, I couldn't believe it was in a 1931 movie. That's what really took me back from it, that all these tracking and panning shots were in this. Like, Lang knew what he was doing. Well, it's like how he used, like, we were talking about the technology of compositing and stuff like that to help with his storytelling. Like, you know, Orson Welles did that as well with Sisson Kane. That's got like compositing in like shots that you wouldn't think would have it in there, like effect shots mm. that aren't effect shots, if you know what I mean. They're kind of just there to help tell the story. And obviously, yeah. this, this was his first um, film with like sound, like sync sound. Yeah, totally. And, you know, it, it, we take it for granted how important sound is for film. And I think it's probably yeah. the most important thing in film nowadays. Yeah. And, um, you know, now, like when he was making M, he could then start. He could start telling the story without showing things. You could hear sound effects and things like that. So, for example, like the the whistling of um, what's the song called? Hall of the the Ma- oh. Hall of the Mountain King. Hall of the Mountain King. You know the Alton Tower song. Yeah, the um, Alton Towers song. That's what I thought as well. I can't Ka- believe the Alton Towers chose the M song. I know as their. <laughs> John, the, the child serial killer murderer song. Caroline, I was watching it in the living room and Caroline was in the bedroom and she came in after I watched the film and she started whistling and she says, why am I whistling the Dalton Towers music? <laughs> and I was like, ah, it's, the, it's the serial killer's calling card. It is, it's how you know the serial killer's here. You know what I thought at the beginning, I don't know how we're going to, if we're just going to be fast and loose, but... um you know, like he he gets the balloon from the the blind guy. Yeah, the creepy weird balloon thing. Well, I didn't know if he went to the blind guy purposely because he knew he was blind, so he wouldn't. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, wouldn't. Uh, maybe. But it became his it's downfall. It's the least. It's the least suspecting member of the community that manages to kind of to outwit him mm-hmm. and stuff, which I thought was quite. But good. like, but that whistle, it's kind of like you know, it's like much like Jaws and. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we were saying that you don't see him on screen. You know, you don't see his face on screen for forty-five minutes, but you know his presence because of him whistling that tune. Like that, that allows you to know to identify the character, to know who it is without him showing you it. Um, Mm -hmm. It's as you were saying. One of the things that blew me away. You were talking about the tracking shots and how hard it would be for those cameras. But this, you know, sound films were still in their infancy. Like nineteen twenty-seven is like the jazz singer. I think Metropolis was 1927, wasn't it? Possibly, yeah. Yeah. So this was Fritz Lang's first First. sound picture. Um, He'd he'd made a decade of doing silent films. Um, And his silent films are like epics. I don't know if you've ever seen any of them, but like he did like a two-parter called The Spiders. I've um, heard of that. Like an adventure film. Um, I've only seen Metropolis. He did like, in Metropolis, obviously, a huge sci-fi epic. 
Dr. Mabuse was one of his most famous characters. So Dr. Mabuse is kind of like the first supervillain kind of thing. Like he's like an evil character that, that like the head of like a criminal organization. And Dr. Mabuse is like four hours long, like five <laughs> hours long things. Like he made these big, big giant films, including he adapted um, the Ring Saga as well. Like he did a two part of the Ring Saga as well in silent silent film. So like when he was doing silent films, he was making these giant fucking epics, you know, these giant fucking movies that were quiet. And then he first sound movie, he does this. He doesn't choose like an epic film. He chooses a really small, like a really kind of like focused movie that isn't very long. It's like an hour 40 something, hour, maybe hour 50. Um, and it's just pens- like zooming into kind of like Berlin society and zooming into these single characters. I think that's really interesting. I mean, do you think... Be- I'm not saying that this subject matter wasn't appealing to him and stuff, but do you think also he was challenging mm. himself, or oh, let's not do something that was so grandiose. Let's do something that's a bit more contained. I think so. And a bit more... And I think... I think you, you're, what you were saying about sound being, like, new, sound being, like, <laughs> an, an, a new medium, and he's not just using it because it's the way you make films now. Like, he's... You cannot tell this story without sound. Like it's intrinsic to telling this this story, with from the whistling itself, from the blind man being able to identify him because he whistles. You can't tell that in a silent movie. Yeah, could you imagine this with sound with title cards? Like, yeah, it wouldn't work. It just wouldn't it, work. And it's a work that needs sound to to actually work. And I think that's really interesting. That's like when we talk about modern directors who like take on new technologies in to incorporate their films they don't do it just because they like I mean you do get people do it just because it's a new technology but you get some people who I need to shoot this this in this new technology because the film can only be told this way hello angley something <laughs> yeah hey angley um but like i think that's really i think that's fascinating to see this in the 1930s and i think it's fascinating to see someone who's so up to date with the tools of that new mm-hmm. technology like who knows how to use it properly who shoots like uses sound coming from off screen he uses sound as voiceover he uses sound as like um as silence as well you know like he uses silence incredibly well in this well, it, it's because it's there's that, no ju- music that, or anything that was like what that. jarred me though because there are scenes in it where it's like literally no sound not even just like ambient sound or just like yeah. the hum of just the sound recorder or whatever like it's just like that threw me because I thought, oh, is my, if I press something on my control, <laughs> I actually was like, oh no, the volume is up. And I thought, I could at actually... least put some, just some, just something, just so it's not like. But he's it's... purposely using that silence. It's a choice for him to use that silence. Well, totally, because that is a different thing. It, but like the 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 main the first scene, because obviously we watched it in different mediums. I watched it on a Blu-ray. And uh, the first I was... watched it, and one of the worst experiences ever. <laughs> just how Fritz Lang wanted it to be seen, <laughs> streaming on Plex with adverts every fucking twenty minutes. So the, the one I was watching with, the, I think the police are on mass like searching, basically like doing mass yeah. like sweeps, and it that's when it goes silent. Where you think, oh, you'd hear marching yeah, yeah, feet yeah, yeah, running, yeah. and and like there's no music in it. Like all the music is kind of within the film, where it's like either characters like whistling or whatever. And I'm not sure at what point they started to do like scores or, you know, like... Yeah, we covered this a little bit in um, mm. the Frankenstein episode because 
if you ever watched the original Dracula, the nineteen twenty eight, twenty nine yeah, Dracula, yeah. that also doesn't have Had music to, score, to it, doesn't yeah, have exactly, sound yeah. below it because it's such an early sound film that they couldn't actually record both at the same time. So they yeah, chose dialogue the, over like sound. Yeah, because they probably like, only got so many channels, or you know, that they can yeah. have sound coming out. Of. So by the time Frankenstein comes out, which is you know similar to the year as this, like. But maybe, I don't know if it was might have still been a technological limitation for Fritz uh, in the 1931 that he couldn't do both. Because well, when, when was feel, Frankenstein? This feels that, a lot like Dracula. Was Frankenstein 33? Something like that. I, I always thought it was 31, but it might be 33. I can't remember. I get it wrong in my head. I'm never good dates. <laughs> but um, it's... It definitely was either it's either some massive choice or he was actually slightly still eliminated by the technology. I don't know. Um, I don't know because I don't know if Germany was slightly behind Hollywood at the time or not. It's hard to tell, really. But he's just it's just remarkable how good he is at using sound already. Like in a way that I definitely heard and appreciate in this movie more than I've appreciated in other 30s movies like the way he uses sound to bridge between scenes like you would use like cuts and stuff like that it's all well, it's all there it's all very professional <laughs> like, well, like it's all a, right there there's an amazing scene later on like in the middle of the film where cause I hope you've watched the film if you're listening to this podcast but there's an amazing scene where essentially the villains or crooks of <clears throat> Germany all band together to kind of this they is wanna, fascinating we have to and, talk about these i things. know but they want to capture the killer because it's like they don't agree with what he's doing and it's also making them look bad and things like that and then yeah, also yeah. you've got the police who want to capture him but you've got this great scene where it's make it's it's cut as if almost like the police and the law are on one side of the table and the villains are on the yeah, other side of the table yeah yeah and the way it cuts back and forth and you know if you had no dialogue that scene just wouldn't work in the slightest and it just can't work yeah i mean later yeah. on in the film it and like i'm sorry i always go to batman with everything but like, <laughs> is it batman the long halloween or dark victory i can't remember which one it is but they kind of like have a court with all the super villains and like uh, okay, you've got yeah. harvey dent there's two faces like you know part of it and like later on in the film all the villains or criminals all together doing their you know their own brand of justice in their own court of law and I, I i was thinking oh jeff load must have watched this and kind of taken that for that story yeah maybe but, yeah i mean i can't imagine how influential this film was it's one it's definitely one of those films we cover when we're just like yeah it's one of the most important films ever made it's i mean is it is it considered like, noir it must be like yeah absolutely yeah. yeah yeah i mean it's not traditional in that way but it's it's it has all those elements of i mean and he became a noir director after he left mm-hmm. germany so he goes on to make things like because he's not actually Fury. german is he he's you only austrian. live once isn't he austrian? yeah he's austrian yeah. yeah yeah he's austrian but he worked in germany and I know he, he ends renounced... up making like, the big heat and stuff like that so he, he ends up becoming quite like synonymous for film noir in hollywood because he renounced his his german nationality didn't he as well or something like yeah that. yeah I mean, it's where it's it, the political situation coming into this film is kind of interesting. Uh, we always do this, um, but or at least I do. But like, you, you, this film is coming out in 1931, right? So 1930s, the first election the Nazis run in, uh, they get quite good standing. Is it the and year after they come into power? Is it it's 32? The, is it basically, year after when they come in and they be, get like a majority. Yeah. 
the year the the same year i think they have other other and the same elections is when hitler becomes like chancellor so you right in that center of like the nazi party existing and becoming a political element in germany right in that fucking like lynch point like right fucking there um so there's no way that like the situation in germany the situation of like uh the weimar republic isn't all about what's going on in this film and and Fritz, uh, Fritz Lang, uh, is is from like a, a Jewish family. So as soon as he gets wind of the, he he knows things are going bad. So he leaves Germany in 1932, I think it is. Um, so just that this ends up becoming one of his last German films. Uh, the film he makes after this is a French film because he lives in France for a little bit. And then eventually moves over to Hollywood and he makes Hollywood films until the end of his career. I think he makes one of a German language film, maybe, at the end of his career. Um, so it's he's interesting guy, <laughs> like, for that to have been, like, his spread of career. I, th- I always think of it, because all his uh, German films are kind of silent, apart from M, I think Testament of Dr. Bedbuse is a year after this. Um, apart from that, really, every other film he ever did orderly is um, American. And he doesn't have the same amount of control in America that he does in Germany. That's definite. Like, you can watch Fury, you can watch, like, The Big Heat. It's not... He hasn't got the full auteur control at that point in, like, 1940s America Mm -hmm. that he had as, like, an auteur in kind of Germany at this point. And you hear stories of him being an absolute nightmare on set, especially at this time period. Well, I know Peter Laurie didn't want to work with him again after... Yeah, well, there's a famous story that he, there's a bit at the end of this film where Peter Laurie's character gets keeps getting shoved downstairs. Stairs, yeah. And apparently they, like, uh, apparently Fritz Langer made them shoot that tw- 12 times, I think, of him well, getting thrown downstairs. And well, until why basically well, Peter Laurie begged. Well, I mean, couldn't. part of that is because some of the film was shot in English for English dubs and French as well, for like French versions as well. And this, right. this is obviously one of the first instances of having to do this because if it's a silent mm. film you can just do different title cards can't you but like if it's a talkie you have to, you know they've got to reshoot certain sections which is weird because like not because i because my blu-ray actually has the english version huh and so i watched it just skimming through it's about i'd say it's about 15 minutes shorter because i think some scenes were oh, lost weird. over time Oh, I think okay, the version sure. that yeah. we've seen has been restored with more scenes like that they found. Oh. A bit like Metropolis, like, you know, yeah. s- scenes were cut. And I think uh, also um, All Quiet on the Western Front was heavily edited over the period and they had to kind yeah. of stitch it back together. King Kong as well, the same. Yeah. Um, and you just, also get, like, as you know, as you're alluding to, this film gets um, into trouble in Germany a little bit as well. Yeah. Um, Funnily enough, the, the the original title of this film is called Murder Among Us. And they the Nazis basically assumed it was about Nazis. <laughs> so they tried to ban it even being made. I think this, he had to change to a different studio to film it because the head of the studio was a Nazi and he was like he wouldn't allow this film to go ahead because he thought it was going to be about Nazis. But did so some of it like, get Langer used... had to take it to a different some of it got... uh, studio. Some of it got used, though, in, like, a Nazi propaganda video, like, film down the line. I don't know in what instance or how it was used. I don't know if it was used in, like... I don't know, but... And also, I wanted to ask you about the state of... What was the state of police in Germany at that time? Do you know, like, what was... 
Yeah, like, it's 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 such an interesting thing to look at the police in this period as well. Um, I mean, the police end up, end up becoming the first foot soldiers of the Nazis. Exactly, basically. that's what I was trying to say. Because obviously, if you know Nazis get into power like the year after, there's got to be something. You know. Yeah, the first the first mass shootings of the Nazis were gun shootings by cops. Like yeah, because they almost what, had that's, like that's the fir- the origins of like the Holocaust is from like cop shooting because they had like so. mini wars, didn't they, within Germany? Mm-hmm. Like kind of like uh, you know a civil war essentially in like certain areas, didn't they? If I'm yeah, I mean like the original Nazis party was they were huge street toughs. Yeah. that's what they were. They were street fighters. You know, they went out there and beat the shit out of people in the streets, like um, because they were all tough as fuck, like veterans from World War One. Um, so they had this kind of like very loose appreciation of their physical well-being and stuff so it was a tough place to be like it was a tough and the cops were the same the cops were equally tough they were tough people on the street they were tough fighters and they also had the experience of world war one so you have this like mass kind of violence being a real life factor in in germany at the time it's quite interesting actually because the Weimar era is and what he's talking about in this is the Weimar era is talking about had a lot of debates about morality and in society that was a big thing that kind of stemmed the political arguments of the Nazis coming in was about how immoral the Weimar Republic was and it was stuff to do with LGBT like you mm-hmm. things were huge in Berlin at the time like it was quite an open area trans like medicine was a huge topic in like in 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 like universities and medicine all that stuff gets destroyed because like there's an argument about what's morale in society and with that is capital punishment that's a big thing that's been talked about in Germany when this film's being made and you can tell that the, what this film is about is is capital punishment it's whether it's right or barbaric to kind of for the well, death I mean, penalty to exist it's or... not subtle is it by the end <laughs> no it's not it absolutely is like it's it's one of those films that for us it's watching it now feels like a kind of philosophical d- debate oh it's presenting <laughs> these questions and at the time it would have felt like it was come straight out of the newspapers or something it would have been what loads of people are talking about like psychology psychiatry is new at the time so people are talking about the idea that there's an idea of like derangement in people that causes them to be villains and criminals and murderers. Can that be fixed or should we kill them? That was a big debate at the time. And this film is stepping right fucking into it and going, you know, like this is not, I don't know if Lang says what he thinks in this. He does paint the idea of kind of killing him as the worst option. Mm -hmm. He's definitely stepping and going the idea of like capital punishment is terrible um, but I don't think he presents the cops in a good way either. Like, who would be the people that, you know, he would be the symbol well, of law and Well, it's order. like... There's I don't one, think he's painting them well. There's one shot towards, I don't Not the end, but like, you know, wrapping up into the end sequence where... I've forgotten the name of the main homicide detective. Um, uh, he, I'm going to forget their names, it's fine. But they have this really bizarre low-down shot of him on the phone. <laughs> of his crotch. And of his crotch. And it's just like you <laughs> yeah. see his like bollock pretty much protruding out of his like trousers. And like thinking... When I was going? scrolling around, I actually saw them. There's a photograph of them shooting that. And they got the desks up on like piles. And everyone's like under the desk surrounded, surrounding the camera. But I just don't understand. Yeah. Like there's obviously a reason for that shot. But I just don't... Yeah, yeah too thick to know what that reason is (laughs) 
they're definitely presenting the cops as like uh as criminals yeah like, that's what they're, they're definitely presenting the cops well as they're criminals. showing the parallels aren't they but especially yeah. by doing that like back and forth table that i was talking about earlier and yeah yeah but like they're also saying and uh der schranker is it who's like the lockpick, I think it translates to, the safecracker. So he's like the head of the criminal organizations. And they're presenting him as like, as also the villain. That's like, he almost like you're kind of on his side, I guess, because he's going to get stuff done and they're going to capture the killer and they're going to gonna find him. Is um, he the main but one when who it comes sits to on, the end? Is he the main one who's like sitting at the table? Yeah, he's the head of the villains, so he, he kind always of wears looks, gloves. Yeah, like, he, he, he he never takes his gloves off. He kind of reminded me of like three characters, kind of in films. He had Tot from um, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, because like the leather coat. And we're thinking yeah. the right guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, Judge Doom from Roger Rabbit. <laughs> And <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> and from Santa Claus the movie, um, uh, what's his name? Um, John Lithgow. John Lithgow, yeah. You know, I, I had a John Lithgow Vember. Did you? I watched loads of John Lithgow movies. That sounds like a very good, uh, <laughs> I good think time. I watched 12. I think I watched 12 John Lithgow films in November. It was Blowout in there? Uh, no, because I'd seen it before. I was trying to watch some films I hadn't watched. So I'd watched. I watched all the other De Palmas of, that he's in. Did you um, watch um, um, a Buckaroo Banzai? No, that's. I that was going to be next. That that's, was going to be my that's next. That's a good film. I, I enjoy that film quite a bit. Yeah, I never watched it. It's good. It's good times. Um, we yeah, need anyway. To, I need to talk about. Uh, I need to talk about Gustav Gungans at some point, but remind me because okay. I don't want to get off. I need to talk about giant about. tankards and giant glasses, and also <laughs> yeah, we need to talk about. We in- actually need to talk about tankards. Incredible smoking paraphernalia. <laughs> yes, but talking about, I just want to talk really. I'm going to try and just really quickly because I thought this was fucking fascinating. But um, the criminal organization like that they're shown in this, like they're basically like the mafia, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're called like the Ring. Ringvern, Ringvine. I don't know. I don't speak German very well. But like the the Ringverein are like criminal organization that were really um, huge in Germany at the time of Weimar Republic. Like they they were they rang these huge organized crime syndicates in different cities, and they were known as like. They were dominated by charismatic kind of master criminals, you know, like the idea of like Dr. Right, Bambus okay. as Fritz Lang did or wherever, like that he he based, and the, you know, the safe cracker in this, he based these people on the reality of how they presented these characters in like the German press at the time. So it would be like, you know, this this mob over here is led by her, you know, her friends and, and he's like, he's a he's a master burglar or something. And they would be kind of known elements in German society at the time. And so he tears that directly out of like society to put into this film. So this idea of these like mob of criminals that talk together and meet is based on what people, I don't know what the reality of these things were, but at least it's based on what people thought these ring vines were. And uh, they were known that they would do stuff like um, provide financial support if like to the families of like criminals that got locked up and stuff. So they would help them out with food and give them money and stuff like that. And so they were kind of like they were 
controversial kind of figures in their day. They kind of, in a lot of ways, they portrayed themselves as like the guardians of society who would like uphold certain like societal orders, kind of like the, you know, the mafia in like the, mm-hmm. like the 70s, well, not the 70s, but the way that they, but mafia was portrayed in the 70s in movies and stuff like that. Well, it's like honor um, amongst thieves, isn't it? And like, they yeah, totally. Their own, you know. But it's also it, a bit Robin them Hood a bit kind of, a, of and, you know... Absolutely. You know. And it would give them a bit of a middle-class image as well. Like, a bit kind of like... They would look a it's bit... Like, a kind of a little bit posh to them as like, well and a little bit kind of enticing. Like, Pablo Escobar was like, you know... He looked like a villain to the outside world, but to the people who lived around him, he was like their hero because of how he treated <laughs> his, like, you know, surroundings like looked after the people who lived in the town where he was at and stuff like that, so... But it would know. be kind of like because of the way they kind of portrayed themselves, and I don't think this is the reality, but mm. the way they portrayed themselves as kind of like, as a hierarchical structure who's maintaining law and order, they would kind of be lauded by, as you were saying, lauded by like the kind of populace a little bit. Because, you know, these guys are criminals, but they're not like the murderers. They're not like the child murderers. Yeah, they're, they're like the actual evil. These people are like, I know they're criminals, but they they're They don't affect like, the average person, their crimes. Yeah, basically. totally. Um, so apparently Fritz Lang, when he when he he was so obsessed with these ideas of these these kind of mobster groups, that he was scared that other people would put them in movies before he get the chance, and that was a big <laughs> thing. Like, I think Doctor Mabuse is based on this thing as well. But like I, he was for for M, he was just like I've got to get these fucking like criminal groups into my movie because they're so cinematic, you know. They're they're so they're so like compelling screen characters that for these criminal gangs and stuff. And it did lead to, it lead to kind of like, um, because crime was talked about constantly in Weimar Republic. It's one of the reasons the Nazis kind of got so powerful was because the media wouldn't shut up about crime. And it gave the impression that Weimar Republic was like overrun with crime. Right. Like, every, like there was so many more murders, so many more robberies. And they were all being committed by like, you know, well, you can guess who they blamed. <laughs> um, so like, I think, I think those elements in this film really make this film a really important depiction of Weimar in because it comes right out of that. It comes right out of that debate that was going on. It comes right out of the news stories. And I think that's... I found that just fascinating, really, of what he was basing everything on. It's like, yeah, do you know what I got strong vibes of as well while watching the kind of the, the crooks, especially when they kind of... When a bit later on, it kind of becomes a bit heist-like almost. Mm. And um, I definitely got Rafifi vibes as well. So I don't know if... Like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, because yeah. like later on in the film, they, they kind of, as they're following... Um, uh, what's the killer called again? What's his name? His name is Hans, Hans, Beckert. Hans Beckert. So when they're following him, they kind of track him down to this office block and he's somehow hidden himself in there. And um, once all the office... There's a lot of scenes of him slowly removing nails. <laughs> Yeah, when 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 all the office workers leave, um, the the office is all is locked up. But they kind of like break their way into it, don't they? Yeah, um, yeah, they break in, and it, um, and it, and it just feels like apparently feels, that was out of the news as well. Ah, uh, like, okay, because it felt like a heist but, film okay. at that point, like how they yeah. kind of got into that. And because you know, I don't think they kind of make much of a deal of it more than they could have done, but. Um, so they kind of basically say there's an alarm system that some of the doors are alarmed, so it triggered. There was an explanation of the new. They called them clocks. The new clocks yeah. they got, 
Which I didn't understand. <laughs> yeah, because they kind of didn't really utilize that. They kind no. of, later on, one of the guards kind of pulls one of the, you know, the lever or whatever to kind of indicate. Yeah, it's, one of them triggers the silent alarm oh, and it man. sends like a Morse code to the cops. That, yeah. that definitely happens. But there was something about that there were clocks placed around the whole building that were not actually telling the time. They were counting down or something. And if they don't get if they get triggered or something, I didn't really get what was going on. I had to, I didn't really understand it and I didn't go back to rewatch it, but there was some, they have some special clocks, but that's, what's kind of interesting about this is that like, it's such a good depiction of like one working class, like homes and stuff like that. There's so much just shots of like work, like what these people's houses would have looked like, but two, like the technology that's coming into the world at this point, um, this film's obsessed with it almost like a bit like a sci-fi film. Like mm. it's going into like, here are the fingerprint technology. Here is these new alarm systems. Here is the silent alarm systems. Here is these, like sh- this building's been built specially to, to, uh, to use this new technology. There's a lot of people using, I think people, doesn't someone pick up a phone in this as well? Like, there's there's like yeah, there's, all weird new well, elements like, of stuff coming. Well, in. there's a phone conversation between various people when they're kind of talking about the the murder inquiries yeah. and how it's going, and they're talking about the handwriting. You know, kind of you know, there's someone like kind of um, you know talking about how the cursive and things like that will suggest certain things and yeah, um, yeah, and like apparently in the British version they reshot some of those. And you can t- huh. you can tell that they were shot like fifteen years later on different film stock, and you know they've got very yeah. British axes and things like that. And <laughs> the camera moves are totally different to how Fritz Lang would have used, moved the camera and things like that. Um, Weird, but yeah, it's, it's I guess it's worth like talking about that. So you have many scenes of like the police kind of raiding kind of like brothels and places like that where they mm-hmm. kind of meet, you know, and where they meet the you know the the lower class kind of people but then the criminals then use the lower class people then as the people to help them track down the killer and those are some of my favorite scenes because the way that they follow or kind of walk around the streets i think is amazing because it's i just love them it's just like the least subtle there's a shot that goes through the beggars Oh, they call it the beggars hall or something. The well, it's when they're kind of like thing. hiring them, isn't it? And um, it goes yeah, through the window. And it starts on that guy that has his own collection of smoked, <laughs> like butt ends of facts and stuff, <laughs> like a cigar and something. And he's choosing which which one he wants to smoke. And then you get like a whole like two and a half minute tracking shot for the entirety of this center, like showing you all the beggars. Then it ends up going for like a window. Yeah, and um, I, I was, I was, I had to watch that a few times. So I was like, "How did they do that?" And uh, you can actually yeah. see the glass slide. So I don't know if like oh, the, nice. the set just parts in half or whatever. But I was like, "Yeah, that's awesome." It is so good, and yeah, it goes through this window to then you see the beggars being handed out their kind of like territory. Like you're gonna work Fifth Street, and on Fifth Street, do your like, do your like music grind, organ grinding thing or whatever. But they're like, <laughs> but the way they do it, they're. <laughs> They're the least subtle people in the history of, I don't know. <laughs> it's just brilliant how they're following this guy around. I love it. There, there's so much, because this is another thing that I thought felt a lot, to, again, talking about Nazis, was that there's a lot of imagery in this movie of people just turning on innocent people. Like, like as you're saying, the beggars get really, like, obsessed with, like, a father taking his daughter to school. And they're, like, kind of... 
they're kind of following one inch behind them just going well, are you a killer or are you like are you innocent like kind of thing and and you get earlier get a lot of stuff of like they're just turning on it on innocent men just because they don't like them accusing him well him yeah of you being, get like, that um, killer and stuff you've kind of got that older guy who's kind of he looks a bit like the monopoly man and he's just yeah he's just getting off the bus yeah, yeah. and then I think the 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 cops have caught like a uh uh you know a a pocket you know what you call it, a pit pocket, and then they think because the police have caught someone they think oh is he the killer and then they're all kind of yeah. like right, mob and they're in mass kind of like a you know kind of engulfing but then you get the, earlier the on guys the film, sitting around the drinking table who turn on each other yeah this is well. what I was on about and they <laughs> the some of the glasses they're drinking from amazing they've kind of got top. <laughs> Their beer glasses or wine glasses have got kind of tops on it as well that they can kind of lift off. Kind of. I wrote in my notes, when did the Germans decide that their beer glasses have to have a hat? Yes, like, exactly. And why are, they the, why are they the only people that ever decided that their beer glasses have to have a hat? And then this <laughs> like, one guy's got... And when did it stop happening? And this one guy's got a pipe that's kind of got a big cigar at the end of it. <laughs> and then later on in the film, when... Um, I think is it Franz who's kind of one of the beggars he's kind of a bit more of a simpleton kind of guy and they can kind of because they capture him because he's kind of the only one left in the office building when they've all cleared out and um, they kind of come up with a plan to kind of trick him into kind of giving them information and then it cuts to the shot of the guard that they tell him is dead and he's sitting there with a big meal, enjoying himself. Yeah. And he's got the biggest glass of beer I've ever seen in my life. And it's not... It's, it's, it's ridiculous. like the size of his head. He has to use two hands to drink it, I think. Yeah. It's, like a, it's like a punch bowl. And he's got, he's got all his sausages and he's happily munching away on his sausages <laughs> and his beer. Like It's so that, a funny little shot that comes in. Yes, there are some funny moments in this film, definitely. Yeah. Like, especially, like, even Peter Laurie's eyes, they're like... Peter Laurie's eyes are a character themselves. Yeah. <laughs> it's just because what there's a few c- the scene when he looks at the M on his back. We'll get to how it happens in a second. But when he turns around, do you think he looks kind of like modern day Brendan Fraser? I kind of like did. in the uh, face. Yeah, I, I saw that a little bit. Yeah, Brendan Fraser's got like, quite oh, big could, bug eyes. Yeah, I think Fraser could play like a Peter Laurie biopic. Mm-hmm. I think that would be good pick I don't know <laughs> Peter, like a, we should talk about Peter Laurie a little bit like what a, like this is his first movie yeah um, this is his first role and what a career like of this man I I'm stupid I didn't realise he was like you know he's from Austria I think mm-hmm. um, I think maybe from Austria-Hungaria like Austria-Hungarian Empire uh, so I didn't actually realise that he was like a, an Austrian-German actor who had Jewish heritage so f- finishing this film he fled which you know don't blame you <laughs> and um, so I mainly know him from American work I know like you know, Casablanca like he worked with, and stuff like that yeah Casablanca Maltese Falcon I, uh, I know he did The Man Who Knew Too Much with Hitchcock um, a, a great film called Mad Love if you haven't seen it you should watch it where like uh, this guy gets the hands of um, a criminal sewn onto him, and the hands start taking over him. Didn't, didn't and he, he finds like... out he's a great knife thrower. Like it's the best. Didn't he do like a series of films where, like, unfortunately, he's like a Japanese kind of like, <laughs> like, <laughs> it, like, like investigator or something? I don't know. It seems a bit awkward. Probably. Yeah. I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> but he, um, he's. 
just so good in this movie. <laughs> he's so good. Like he's 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 sells so much about like this character and makes you like. Oh, that was sorry. They were called eyes. Mr. Moto, so they were like Mr. Moto's gamble. Mr. Moto takes a chance. Mysterious Mr. Oh, yeah. Moto. <laughs> Mr. Moto's last warning. Yeah, and he's called yeah Mr. Kentaro Moto. So yeah, mm. Mm, well, yeah, <laughs> it was the thirties. It was the thirties. Uh, but yeah, a, a Jewish man who um like Casablanca, uh, Maltese Falcon. I think I think once he t- he's he's one of like the top kind of actors who never won like a an Academy Award. He's kind of like that level right, of yeah. like notoriety. And for me, I only really, I mean, I, we say this so much. My exposure to him as a person was through Looney Tunes. Yeah, because the way like, they drew him, like, like basically like yeah. Casablanca and stuff like that with the big eyes and stuff like that. The big eyes, the big round face, like the voice as well. Like um, I through like Aladdin, I know like, um, like there's, the genie turns into him for a yeah, second. yeah, yeah. yeah. As one of one of Robin Williams' thousand impressions that he's flying through for each second and stuff. Like I knew this guy only because every cartoon I watched growing up would do like a Peter Laurie character, and I didn't know who Peter Laurie was. I just knew that is that character that he's doing is that I'm playing like an evil weirdo or something. I'm playing like a kind of disturbed man or something. Well, I think it, it was what was the one with the kids, the kid, Looney Tune Adventures or something? Oh, Tiny Tunes. Child ones. Tiny oh. Toons, yeah. He was in Tiny Toons tons as well. And yeah. Tim Burton as well, I think, used him in, in other films as well. Wasn't There's a worm in maybe Corpse Bride that has like a yeah. big head. Well, if I remember in um, in Aladdin, he's kind of like the zombified version. He's like, I don't like doing it. Like that kind of, mm-hmm. yeah. And then, yeah, Corpse Bride, there's like a little green bug. I actually had to yeah. sculpt the green bug for a birthday cake once. <laughs> so you sculpted little oh, Peter Lowry. I did, yeah. But yeah, I, and I was, I just was really happy watching him in this, for like this kind of character, this cartoon character that I knew, like his first movie and him acting in this. I was blown away by his, like, he, him at the end, he gives a lot of pathos and he gives a lot of like feeling to like his end speeches when he's begging for his life, saying like how he, he's quite a famous speech, I think, when he's saying like, you know, he can't help this. He doesn't want this. This is taking over his life. This, this, this is the worst thing. Like he's, he's not like you. You're criminals. You do this for money, and you do this like because you want to. But I can't help this. You know, like I can't help the. Uh, I have no control over this evil thing that's inside me. You know, the fire, the voices, the torment. Like it's, and Peter Laurie's selling that with his giant bloody eyes. Like I just was thought it was. So effective, and I was like, I really want to watch more Peter Laurie. But it shows how good he is the fact that he did it in English and in French. And like, because like a lot of the times with you know dubs, like some of the you know the performances lost, and a lot of the film is dubs, like in the English version and that. But like I said, there are some scenes that they they did shoot, they reshot in different languages, and you can really tell the difference. and like he's still a, he's still putting in a hundred percent of his performance into like the French and the English versions. It's pretty amazing, and like yeah, it's I awesome. love the shot when they first when they shine the light on him inside the kind of on the rooftops, mm. and he's like they yeah. find him in one of the rooms, and he like he doesn't even try to hide a bit. He just kind of stands up and puts his hands up in the air. Yeah, <laughs> the bright light, just a him. big kind of like oh, caught in the headlights thing. 
and I just what great casting. Oh yeah. Like just what a great person you find who just looks like just looks so uniquely um something, you know, like just got such an iconic look to him. I just was really happy about that. You know, like you know the intro when you first because obviously you don't see any child killing in the film at all. It's all like no, it's all no, no. There's only in the film one girl gets disappeared. Yeah, at and the it, beginning. And I thought what yeah. they were going to do is because like it's a little girl and she's on her way home from school. Yeah, and she's like throwing up. She's like bouncing a ball up and down. And then you see this yeah. like sign on the on the wall that says you know serial killer at large uh, reward you know whatever it is. Yeah. And she's 10, like thousand marks for yeah. information. And, and she's like. Yeah. She's and like, it tells you that two kids have been missing yeah. recently and they think that they're connected to the missing of the previous year where two other kids got missing. So that's like, it gives you an idea that there was like, you know, there has been at least four kids that have disappeared. Um, or I keep saying disappeared, but that's the way they present it in the movie, but like murdered. And then she becomes like the fifth really in the film. So it's, the film has a lot of child murder yeah, in it, yeah, yeah. But, you, but doesn't also, like, if but, that makes sense. But I just love the, the visual storytelling of it. And I thought, you know, because she's bouncing yeah. a ball against the wall, as like as we, the audience, are reading this information, I thought they were just going to have it that the ball stops. And it does, it does do that. But then you also see his silhouette of the shadow coming in. And I thought that was, that was really well done. And, um, and that's what because his silhouette is so identifiable so, as yeah, Peter yeah. Laurie as well like he's just got that look to him that even from his silhouette you can definitely identify him later on you're like oh yeah only that man makes that silhouette <laughs> and I guess like you know it's it's worth pointing out that Fritz Lang like did a lot of research for making this as well like he um, he like, went to many crime scenes and spoke to lots of homicide detectives he even I think he even spent like a week in an insane asylum like you know observing wow. like what what they're like and stuff allegedly anyway yeah um the 1920s in germany was kind of like populated by serial killers um <laughs> weirdly enough like they all became as i say they were news at the time was obsessed with like crime so any kind of like so they almost started inventing the idea of a serial killer at this time this is where it comes out really uh, a lot of people say that this film's based on one of them in particular which is peter Curtin, who's called the vampire of dusseldorf um I don't think it like I think when asked about it, Lang was like, "No, he's not. It's not based on one of them. It's all of them." I think he names. I think there's. I think he he names like Harmon, Grossman, Curtin, and and mm-hmm. Denker. I think he says like, and he goes, "I was obsessed with all of the crime going on. I wanted to make a movie about these criminals, about these serial killers, and it wasn't about. It wasn't based on one of them in particular." Yeah, it's yeah, it's just. What a, what a, I don't know. Don't know what to say now. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I want to talk about a little bit about the guy who played um, uh, the safe cracker. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Gustav Grundens, Grundgens, Grundgens. I should hear. I should look up how to say names before I have to try and pronounce them. Yeah, we, we, um, it's, we're well documented. We're not very good with names and pronunciations. <laughs> um, but like this guy is fascinating fascinating i always seem to do this when we look at old films i look into the actors and i find a queer actor <laughs> like and it seems to happen okay. every time we do one of these films but this guy was was known to be gay in in germany like at this time okay. and through like nazi germany he was protected they say because he was such a big draw um for the cinema there is 
other there's there's might be there's some deliberate maybe some rumors of collaboration but it doesn't like it's really hotly debated but what i thought was really fascinating is this this openly gay man was in what they called like a lavender marriage in um to like a woman called uh mariani hop um <laughs> she was in a relationship with another married woman called erica mann <laughs> who was <Hi>. the <laughs> so it's and... a weird chain of like people marrying <laughs> and, um, just for the for for like who was apparently just... related to literally married to Grundon's like long term relationship Klausman <laughs> like okay. so these 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 four queers were all like in lavender marriages but then it. also <laughs> in relationships with each other like in in Nazi Ger- in Nazi fucking Germany I like, like, it's, if, like it's it's in, that's insane what right? have you got to do to make it work so you can live your life the way you want to live it and yeah well, I suppose it's not the way <laughs> yeah, they what? wanted to live it they wanted to be out and open but like if sure, you're gonna but, make but it work how you can in the in apparently the, they made the time it period you were living in it, I guess yeah but to be openly gay in, in Nazi Germany is incredible to me. Um, and then that that mix of like uh, the kind of relationships and stuff like that, I just thought was a hell of a story. <laughs> That's yeah. a hell of a thing. <laughs> totally. So he, ca- he came up in my research of the other actors. None of the actors um, came close to how interesting I found okay. him. <laughs> but show, um, I don't know if we've, we haven't really outlined the kind of critical scene in the movie um, and how it kind of works. I think we've bounced around it a little bit. So, like, so we obviously talked about, so we might, maybe we'll just bounce through the plot a little bit to make sure we're not missing stuff. But, like, you get, as we say, it opens with the kids playing, like, a game, which is singing about the serial killer. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I... I was on board from this very little point. Them like sitting in a circle pointing to like who's going to get murdered next. It ends up actually being the girl who's singing. Yeah. Um, so it scoops up, it introduces you to her mom, who um, who eventually, as you were saying, it has that whole scene where uh, they he uses sound so remarkably when the daughter hasn't come home for dinner and you know the mom's like put the stew on the stove and and she it's getting served and then she puts it back on the stove with some water and a pot because she's like oh i've got to keep this warm i don't know where my daughter is kind of thing and she starts like yelling her name just into the corridors and as you say it might be a model shop of those um, stairs going down but you see it like you hear the the mother's voice like echoing through the abandoned like the empty kind of like well, yeah, corridors you, and halls where the washing is and stuff you and, don't you wouldn't expect it to be that high up but i don't know if that's like some sort of visual metaphor of like i don't know like yeah i think it i yeah. think you're spot on because yeah. i think it only looks like a three-story building but those stairs are like eight stories exactly yeah yeah i think he's absolutely using that as like a, a motif he's using it to, to, to as a, you know as he would do with more expressionist kind of scenes he's bringing that bit of expressionism into this to kind of get that across on scene on on set really and i think like on screen i mean but i think also i don't think it would have been possible to shoot the stairs in the way he wanted to shoot them physically so i think it makes a lot sense that he must have got like some sort of model or something set that up i mean it's so hard it's not like um yeah i think it looks bad but like i just like i just from knowing what he's done before, it just kind of made sense to me that that's kind of he'd utilize his tricks to kind of 
any way you could. Also, it's worth noting as well that I think they shot the film in like six weeks, which is wow. insane. Wow. Um, but he also uses that kind of later on when you get the killer kind of after he's been identified, he runs through the streets and you're getting people coming out of corners and, and, and cornering him a little bit in shadow. Like it's a lot of like the shadow coming out to fa- to, to mm-hmm. face you, you know, like things coming out of the shadows, things coming out of the corners. I thought all those those sets were very expressionism. I could imagine like it's not too far away from like like Nosferatu kind of setting you know like it's not too far away from pure gothic cinema it's it's that one step away of you know the dark darks bit of light and and characters trying to navigate that that areas of darkness well I think you know throughout for the first half at least they're kind of building him up that he's this kind of I mean he is a horrible person I'm not trying to say he's not but like he's this mythical like disgusting human being but then when you see him at the end and he's kind of like this weeping kind of pathetic Mm -hmm. kind of man it's kind of like a a juxtaposition of like you know this Nosferatu monster that's just killing people and then at the end just this kind of I don't know just this pathetic human being that's before like the being judged by the by the other criminals everyone yeah and like so in the first murder sequence, you see he takes he 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 really does like when he captures a girl, he doesn't take her away. He no, takes her on like a nice he's not, trip he's around not, town. Again, he's not subtle. Like you know, I don't know how no. people don't notice this. <laughs> I, when I ever watch like really old movies and you hear stories about, it, particularly because I'm obsessed with like kind of like 1800s con men, it's so easy to be a criminal <laughs> this time period. Like it's so so simple. But yeah, he um, buys the little girl a balloon from the blind beggar. You can tell he's blind because he has a sign around his neck. I'm blind. <laughs> so it's, it's helpful. <laughs> and, um, and whilst he's doing that, he's whistling the Autumn Towers theme. Um, <laughs> the Mountain King. And, uh, and later on, when after the criminals have kind of roused the underworld, roused the beggars, it's called like the beggars something, they have a great term, and I can't remember what it is, uh, they rouse them to kind of do a manhunt through the streets. Uh, the blind man uh, is on his spot and he hears someone whistling the, um, the same theme. And it's right where there's a brilliant shot of him looking in that shot window with the knives kind of circling yeah. around him. It's um, almost like and. He- because he, this is when he sees the other girl behind. Like, is he? He's so he's following the girl, isn't he? Yeah, he's following a, a new little, little girl. girl yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, yeah, he got those knives like encircling him, like like the trap setting in, maybe mm-hmm. or something like. And uh, the blind man hears the whistling, and asks someone who's next to him, like, "Who was that whistling? Like, what's he doing?" Kind of thing. And I think the guy's like, "Oh, it's that man there. He's following that girl or something like." Um, so he tells him to follow him and see what he's doing. So it's quite, I think it's quite great how there's the juxtaposition of the police who are imprisoning and questioning anyone who doesn't have papers. Mm-hmm. So that basically means immigrants, really. Well, don't we um, meet, isn't one of the guys that we meet in the brothel, at least, isn't it Franz? Yeah. The yeah, burglar, so, yeah. yeah. And he hasn't got like the correct papers or something I he hasn't got the correct papers or whatever it is so they're just assuming that the you know they're assuming the murderer must basically be an unregistered person yeah you know um and uh 
then the kind of like the most unlikely person is the one who manages to kind of find the killer so it's like the the, the person that would have been ignored the most just the mm-hmm. blind beggar is the one and i think that's a really nice use of that in this in this film so he tells he tells a man to go follow him oh, in the one street question one other... question how, how do you think he makes those balloons or or does he just buy them or what? Because they're like these balloons that have kind of got like little legs and arms. And I'm just like, does he make those? With weird little faces as well. Yeah. It's... Again, there's a shot later on with one of those balloons. And I, th- I think that's like an effect shot model shot. It's like one of the balloons is like up in the oh, air. When the... Yeah, it's when the girl disappears and the, you see the balloon just like... You see like the whole, like the ball rolls on its own and the balloon's just in the kind of like telephone wires. Maybe, yeah, I, I like, I feel that's an effect shot because I think to do that, like, yeah. like if that was like a real telephone wire and you've thrown a balloon at there, that you, you've done it like with me when we film stuff and you're like, just want you to throw that thing and hit that mark. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. You're like, an hour later, you're still doing it. And you're like, fucking hell. <laughs> So, yeah. All I want you to do is to throw that ball so it lands there. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. But yeah. No, you can't leave that. <laughs> you can't do that on set. <laughs> but yeah, so um, he, the guy follows him and uh, he writes an M on his hand. In chalk. And in chalk, uh, which stands for murderer. <laughs> <laughs> or oh, in German murderer i don't know what it is in german <laughs> i presume it starts with an m <laughs> and um he he mark he um pretends to trip over the the killer's <laughs> orange peel <laughs> and isn't um, it mortar slaps is it murder 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 m o r with an umlaut murder 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 because it was yeah, meant to, it was wasn't the original title like Murder Among Us, so it'd be like Murder Unto Us or something like that. Unto Us. Yeah, so he trips, whacks the guy on the back with his M on his chalk to M, and that marks the guy on his coat uh, M. And apparently that's a code that everyone in the underground knows. That well, he does, an, he does phone up, doesn't he? Well, no, he phones <laughs> up and says that he's like marked him, doesn't he? I think. So like, oh, yeah, word yeah. gets out very quickly. <laughs> Word gets out that there's a man walking around with an M on his jacket and that's the murderer. So all these people start kind of like getting eyes on him and following him as he goes around. And uh, it's, uh, it isn't until the girl points out that he's got an M on his back and he's like, oh my God, um, that he then flees. And that's when the film changes from this kind of like... Manhunt to... Like, poli- well, it still is manhunt, manhunt though, kind of it? Yeah, but it, it does definitely change from this idea of the, this unknowing because we know who he is now we know who it is so yeah to being a film about his escape really and i i don't think you i don't think the film ever sympathizes no it does though it does the film switches to him being like almost the antagonist of being the protagonist i think Mm -hmm. the film kind of switches to you kind of wanting to see him get away from this well i guess is that is rolling are we implying pressure a mob is it implying that Fritz Lang is kind of like the way he sees like is he mentally ill is it his fault that he's doing it is it you know is he is it because he he can't help himself you know it's like I'm not sure where Fritz Lang lies with that do you know what I mean like where I think Fritz Lang is definitely on the side of like 
capital punishment is wrong. Yeah, and yeah. I think he's definitely on the side of like like this yeah. idea of a bane mob having its own justice is yeah. wrong, and that you should be trying to rehabilitate people. I think that's what he's doing with his yeah. film. And f- if you've ever seen it, Fury, then f- I don't think it's not his first American film, but he does it quite quickly in America. That's also about like mob justice as right. well. So it's definitely was a theme that he brought to his movies about the the badness of mob justice which again i think speaks to the time period that he's dealing with um and uh so that it's funny that that sequence with the m that's the iconic that is the scene that's why the movie's called this it's why like it's what the images we all had in our head before watching this you know are and it's it's quite funnily placed in the middle of that film well it's the title card as well is that is is like that very kind of it's like you were t- saying, it feels like those kind of like the artwork of, you know, uh, you know, what, what, what am I trying to say? Uh, like propaganda artwork almost, isn't sure. it? Like yeah. those, that, that very powerful graphic kind of artwork and it's the actual like title card is the hand with the M on it. I think the film, to criticise the film a little bit, and I don't want to because the film's, really fucking good it's not just good for now for the time period i think it's a stunning achievement <laughs> um but to criticize it a little bit this section lost me um especially i didn't mind the stuff in the ha- in the office building that was that was okay but the, the but the central conflict of this movie is tied up with 20 minutes left to go in this film and then the actual emotional context of this film is like the last five minutes. So there's like, there seems like there's a 15 minute stretch, which is really just the police trying to find out where the mob has taken him yeah, yeah, and yeah. working with this other criminal. So you didn't and like I that was, kind of bit with like Franz then being questioned. You didn't like that kind of... I was just lost. Right. I was I was like, I, I felt like all it let all the tension out of the, out of the get, movie. Yeah. And let all the kind of like, like flow of it. All the, definitely the flow of the movie felt like it changed pace because yeah, i think if, if you were to make that film now the mob would capture him and then the next scene you'd see is him being chucked down the stairs wouldn't it, it wouldn't cut to like very yeah. slow procedural yeah. stuff and again. you go straight to the court and you would have kept that like i don't want to criticize fucking fritz langer yeah but like i know what you mean, um though. but like it, it that i didn't know why I was paying attention to the stuff with the yeah. cops at that point him. it's like, ramping the, to the end and it's I know what you mean yeah. it does suddenly kind of halt it although and I just wasn't I wasn't invested in the police I wasn't invested in those characters I didn't know mm-hmm. like I think that the, the criminal character I just and the whole point of it looking back on it is really just so the police know where to go there is a little element of them showing the police to basically corrupt as well mm-hmm. that is earlier as well but it's also in this bit but really i just i just def i felt my mind wandering during this bit i was and i was kind of a bit you know i got anxious you know when you get anxious of what a film's doing i got anxious at this point going oh please save this what what's going on and it did when it comes back to the court it absolutely ramps up again i loved it all <laughs> like i loved the whole end of the film was perfect it's just that weird little kind of maybe 15 minutes 10 minutes 15 minutes where i just felt really kind of like a bit lost with it i think the the very very final scene in the actual court of law i was mm-hmm. like I, I was kind of looking because i was thinking oh, okay where's it going to go now and then i looked at the 
uh, the status, you know, the time bar. Yeah. And I was thinking, hang on, there's 30 seconds left of the film. This scene is 30 seconds long. Of like wrapping the whole film up, I was like, "Wow!" And apparently, for the yeah. for the English version, they reshot that ending, and it's kind of got a more uplifting ending. Oh. So I don't, I didn't actually quite watch the ending, but uh, oh, that's silly. Yeah, it, uh, Franz, when he talks about this film, is he said he wrote it to tell mothers to keep closer eyes on your children, yeah. um, which is quite a funny quote. Um, but yeah, that's what this ending is. It's like weeping mother of, of Elsie, the, mm-hmm. dead, the dead girl. Um, she's in mourning clothes in court and she's just like, none of this will bring the children back. Um, will you have to keep closer eyes over your children? And as it's fading to black, she goes, all of you. So it was like a, it's like a judgment to the audience. Yeah. Like it's speaking directly to the audience as a kind of like, like almost like, like a kind of off-screen voice coming in, like an old theater kind of thing. Of just like, and here's the message to the crowd, kind of thing. I think a lot of films um, did that though back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, but it's it it as you said earlier, it's not subtle about it trying to be a. It's trying to be a think piece for the audience at the time. It's, you know, it's ripping a stories. It's ripping stories directly out the headlines. If it's the criminal gangs or if it's the serial killers going on, it's talking about issues of Germany at the time, talking about mob violence, talking about the the cops aren't there to help you kind of thing. And it's talking about the idea of of criminal crime, about where it comes from and can it be cured and what's the solution to it. And then at the end of the film, it absolutely gives you the, it asks you directly as, as a, as a person, what should you do about it? What's your feeling of what you've just watched? Like, how are you going to take that into your life? It's very directly speaking to people in 1931 in a way that I don't, we haven't covered many films that I think are so directly speaking to people in 1931. Mm-hmm. Well, not you know of the time period it was made in, but this is very much doing that. It's not even allegory. It's kind of really very just exacting and real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, what what's your kind of thoughts on it, really? Yeah, I honestly, I thought it was. You know, obviously, it's a, a classic for a reason. It's a, it's a great, yeah. you know, considered classic for a reason. It's a great film, and I, I wouldn't say I think it's perfect. Like you said, I do think it does lull a little bit near the end, but then it obviously does pick up and ramp up in the kind of like the the court case in the old abandoned building. But um, yeah, I just think it, I thought it's fun. Like some of the cinematography in it, I was just like, wow. Like the, like yeah. Like we talked about some of the jitteriness and that and stuff like that. That doesn't matter. It's all about the kind of the storytelling and the composition of the shots and the framing. And that is all like top notch. You know, the performances as well, which um, some are not so subtle, but some are actually, you know, quite understated as well, which I thought was. Yeah, the acting's actually quite realistic. Acting. Yeah, which it's I was not quite like... surprised about. It's not. It's yeah. Not, it's not like you know big i mean obviously he's got big wide eyes what's his name um <laughs> but like he's still he's obviously a great actor you know he's he's yeah. not like he's that you know then you know i guess a lot of actors at this time came from theater so they kind of they, they're 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 performing to the room not yeah in front of the camera as such whereas this felt a bit more like you know it was contained within the film like you know they're not doing like silent era acting yeah like ooh, you know like, yeah like with, big just with sound big they're, hands in the they air are, yeah they are doing quite 
subtle normal work it's yeah it's that i thought was interesting i thought that was i oh, didn't expect that again i wonder what this that was just like completed kind of like i wonder gone. what that was like for like an actor in film at that time when you know you had to use your whole body to to convey an emotion like so say if you were distraught you had to put your your hand over your head and like oh but yeah. like you know, now suddenly you have to look down with your arms loose and stomp on the floor to yeah. show that you're disappointed. Yeah, kind of thing. and now, now with the benefit of dialogue, you know, it must have like revolutionised just for the actors themselves. I bet I imagine some found it very hard to kind of to kind of keep up with the times, and you know, some probably embraced it and stuff Definitely. like that. But um, but it is interesting Definitely. though because they always say like, oh, you should be able to. Your sh- your film should always work without, not always, but you know, should work without sound. Like the the story should come through, and I still think, I'm saying I know the the sound is still important to this film, but you could turn the sound off and you know what's going on within the film. It's you know it's it's still a visual, it's still told in it's a visual still, yeah. way. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, this yeah, it's still told in a visual way. I just it's fascinating how he uses sound like a oh, master. Totally. I think that's what, that's what's. I really mean, the the only the, this, the big right? thing is that you'll be missing if you just watch it silent is the whistling. I think that's like one of the biggest yeah. things about it. You know. But yeah. And uh, and that's M. <laughs> I don't think I have any. Like it's yeah, it's 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 quite a pleasure to watch. I'm I'm kind of glad that we we got round to it finally yeah totally it's made finally. me keen to watch more I mean I saw I haven't seen Metropolis since like back at when I was at uni and we had like a we had like a film club <laughs> and in the screening room at uni because I studied animation we had a screening room and every like Tuesday night we had movie night and I watched Metropolis there and I haven't yeah, watched it since and I, I think because I've got it on Blu-ray and like I've got so many Blu-rays that are still shrink-wrapped <laughs> <laughs> like this one has got the it's got like 25 minutes of like unfat you know lost footage so the version <laughs> i've got now is like 150 minutes so there's a whole lot of story i haven't seen and i I can't remember too much about it aside from like some of the you know the obvious like striking imagery that you yeah everyone's yeah. burned into everyone's retina at this point metropolis is kind of probably i mean it's People, the general feeling with Peter, uh, with with Lang is that his American career kind of falters. Right, like, he he isn't the auteur that he is in like in Germany. He doesn't have the power on set to chuck people downstairs and shoot as many times as he wants. So he gets a bit overlooked in his American career. His German career is like obviously more him doing what he wants to do. A lot of that, apart from like two or three films, are silent. And a lot of that are long. Like when you're talking about like his silent films, they're four hours long. They're 270 minutes, you know, like they're, they're huge like pieces of work. They're split into two parts as well, like of both like two and three hours long. So he's not, I don't, I think apart from Metropolis, he's not the most accessible person to I'm watch. Su- I'm surprised really. cinema's screened films that long back then. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, that's insane. <laughs> Were they just open all day and people yeah, could just wander in and out? Was <laughs> like... <laughs> But it's, what makes me laugh because people like, like you had organ players with it, didn't you? Yeah. Did so, they have player pianos all the time? Yeah, I don't just like for three hours. I like <laughs> the next fuck. I've got a three-hour screening of Fritz Lang's. <laughs> the next audience next coming bullshit. in. Great. Um, it's interesting, and I think I'm saying that because I don't think we'll re- we'll I don't think we'll get him back when we finally cover the twenties. <laughs> 
because I I just can't see us covering a four hour movie. <laughs> oh, I'm um, game. A four hour silent movie, but who knows? Um, but if not, um, this it was a great film to do him for. I think. Yeah, definitely. No, I'm really glad we watched it. So, um, and what's next on the docket then? Funny enough, next on the docket is another. It's a, it's a um, director we covered before, mm-hmm. and it's another horror film, and we we've covered him before in the 1930s. <laughs> so we're going to the we're going to the old dark house with James Whale. Ah, that he directed Frankenstein. And he did direct Frankenstein and Brian Frankenstein. Frankenstein. And uh, he, it's his, I think it's his only horror film that wasn't like a universal monster film. Right, okay. Um, and it's kind of like a, it would be an interesting watch, I hope. Wicked, can't wait for that. And um, yeah, good to speak to you as always. Yeah. And, uh, and let's try and see if I can uh, do this, um, this wrap up. I can't even remember what I used to do. Um, what did I do? Reinvent it. Reinvent it. Uh, cheers yeah. for watching. Uh, subscribe and see you on the next one. Bye. There we go. <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> Hang on. What did I used to say? Um, so, yeah, thank you very much for listening. And please don't forget to hit subscribe. Um, you can reach out <laughs> to us on Twitter. We are, are we even on Twitter anymore? Have we decided that we're staying on Twitter or not? What's the, what's the crack with that? Are we going to. What's the new? What's the new one that kids are using now? Isn't it um, Hive? Oh, we're opening a TikTok. Hive. Oh, I, don't th- I think Hive's already dead. I don't. I tried Hive. <laughs> I down. I downloaded, it, signed up, and it takes that long for anything to load up on Hive. It's it's pretty. It's pretty useless. I think Hive and Mastodon are already dead. Mastodon. There's only one Mastodon in my heart, and it's not a social media platform. It's there's the, two Mastodons, isn't there? Well, there's the Power Ranger one as well. <laughs> R.O.P. Green Ranger, I have to say that. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and Batman. He passed away. I thought you were going to say, and White Ranger. Well, he was the White Ranger, and a Red Ranger, and a Black Ranger. He was like, he's pretty much been all the colours, I think, of the, the, the Ranger's spectrum. Um, yeah, uh, please subscribe if you want to hear more Power Ranger waffle. Um, you can you can message us on Twitter. I don't think anyone does, but you can do it anyway. You can uh, you can write and review us on on uh, on the old. Follow us on Twitter to find out when our new episodes are dropped. That's that's a good idea. That's, we, that's a good one because there is no guarantees for it to be regular. We're gonna do our best. We're gonna do our best. I think I shot ourselves in the foot the last time because I was like, this is not going to be one of them lockdown podcasts that kind of just <laughs> just fizzles away. And then six months later... I'm pretty sure we ended last podcast on so much, like, optimism. Oh, we did, optimism. yeah. <laughs> like, we're going to be back next week. Ten films out the door. <laughs> don't, you, don't you worry. Uh, yeah, I'll re-record this wrap-up. But I might leave this in, because it's amusing. <laughs> Bye! <laughs>